Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin. I'm on the phone with Brian. And on today's episode, we're going to be reviewing the 2022 horror film, Nope, written and directed by Jordan Peele, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and Steven Yun. In this film, a pair of siblings confront some extraterrestrial forces as they try to hold their stake onto the family farm. If you're new to our show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion up front. We'll talk about the background of the film. Then we'll take a quick break, and then we'll dive into the plot, the spoilers, and our review. Brian, how high on your list was this movie for most like anticipated movies for the year? This was definitely my most anticipated movie of the year, I believe. It's hard to look back now and think about how I felt about the year before it started, but I I can't imagine another movie was higher on the list. You had this above like Five Cream and uh, Halloween Ends or whatever? Yeah, Halloween Ends really plummeted on my list after Halloween Kills, and Five Cream, you know, I was hopeful for, but I just wasn't expecting anything great. Okay, so this was like your most anticipated film for the year? Correct. Although now I think my most anticipated... I was telling the Discord the other day, my most anticipated film in general now is Pearl, the X oh, prequel. The is that, that going to come out this year? It, you know, they originally said it was going to, but I haven't checked up on that. I, I hope it does. That'd be amazing. I hope so, too. That'd be a really quick turnaround. That, yeah, that'd be so awesome. Uh, yeah, I, you know, same for me. I feel like this movie's probably like top of the list for a lot of horror enthusiasts coming to this year since you got Jordan Peele behind it, and this is his third film follow-up to Us. And I know a lot of people put him in the category with those two other directors, Eggers and, um, oh shoot, who's that other guy? Aster. Aster, yeah. What's what's your take on uh, his standing amongst those two? Comparable or you can't even compare them? Oh, I think for re- for sure comparable. They're they're all right there with each other. Had hered- Hereditary and The Witch and Get Out are all classics. You know, those like first yeah. horror entries right out the gate. And then they each made follow-ups that people I think felt a bit more mixed on than their originals. I think they were all a little bit more hmm. I don't know. I was going to say they're all a bit more out there, but I shouldn't say that. They all have a bit more of a mixed review than their first films that are all agreed upon classics. Yeah. I I think they're all really parallel, you know? I agree. I I think, like, from a timing perspective, like, their first films came out together. The second film is very close together. Uh, I would say with the second film, like, you're right, uh, it was a lot more divisive. But I feel like Astor's probably got the best acclaim for his second film. Uh, I feel like a lot more people were aligned on Midsommar versus Us or The Lighthouse. I think he's got the least amount of dissenters. Like, anyone who's on the Astor train seems to love both of those movies. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Um, whereas, like, I, yeah, I, I know we were really good on uh, Get Out. I, I think I feel like we both probably got a five. Where were you on Us? I think I was at a four with us. I really enjoyed it. Uh, It's no get out for sure, but I did really enjoy it, and I'd love to watch it again. I just can't find the time. Yeah, yeah. I I think I tried to rewatch it a year or two ago, and it actually held up. It was was, was really good. Like I feel like with Peel's films, you go back, and even when we like did get out, I I think just every rewatch, you learn something else or pick up on. He's got like so much stuff embedded throughout it. I know. That's why I'm angry at myself for not rewatching Us yet. Because, yeah, you're right. Get Out reveals so much more to you. The more you rewatch it, you can appreciate it more. And I know Us is going to be the same way. 
Yeah, yeah. He's he's a smart director. It was filled with layers, and I think he brought that approach here too. But um, yeah, this is his biggest uh, film to date, budget wise. Like, um, let's see. Uh, what uh, I think Get Out was like four million. Us was like was like twenty some million, and then this movie jumps up to like a budget of sixty eight million. So kind of like huge, like incremental growth as he goes. Yeah, this is a no-holds-barred, big-budget movie. It's like summer blockbuster-type stuff. Yeah. Pretty cool. It is, yeah. It's really cool to see him come into that space. Um, but so far, the box office, uh, it's only around $50 million, but I, I expect that's going to grow quite a bit, right? Uh, I saw $44.4 million for the weekend. Okay, okay. There are, and that includes no international numbers yet. Um, it's, it's a good... Good debut, and it's the biggest opening weekend for an original film that's not based on existing IP since Us in 2019. Isn't that wild? That is wild. How how um, is how is that possible? I mean, like uh, there haven't been any like other big original movies between like 2019 and now. Yeah, right. I mean, it's a compliment to Jordan Peele, but more so, I feel like it's a uh, just uh, depressing insult on moviedom in general that nothing is original. Uh, nothing is original and there's just been so few original movies to take up to compete with those movies yeah, you know that, that's depressing that blows me away well yeah not, nothing original and then also you have like two years of the pandemic sure but fair. yeah I guess big budget these days goes to like uh, uh, I, I, like yeah the, all the Marvel films and stuff which you wouldn't count that as original right because those are all like installments well, they're based on existing intellectual property, which is the Marvel comics and the superheroes within. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they're not original. Okay, got it. And, like, the Halloweens, like, oh, you know, I, I didn't compare it to, like, the last Halloween, the, the last two Halloweens, but um, those you wouldn't count as original either then, right? Correct. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think this is more about, like, how few films are original these days, maybe. Is yeah. That- it's, yeah, it's a commentary to how unoriginal things are. Got it. Okay. I think... We're finally getting through the definition of original. <laughs> there we are. We made it. <laughs> here, here we are at the end of that paragraph. Yeah. All right. Next paragraph. <laughs> Indent. So I read on Box Office Mojo that they seem to think an optimistic domestic estimate would be about $108 million, which I think that, again, doesn't include the uh, international numbers. So... His other movies got a third of their sales from international markets, uh, which sounds like this movie might do better in the international markets than his previous two films. So it seems like hopefully he'll make a profit on this movie, but it's kind of hard to tell at this point. I, I think he has to because I, I feel like Us was like 200 some million. Um, and yeah, this one's only been out a week. It's like kind of a summer blockbustery film. This like has to surpass Us, I think, uh, return wise, don't you think? I don't know. I think it's going to be close. It will be interesting to see. And I've already seen, I don't know, I guess us had its mixed reviews too, but I think there are a surprising amount of like one and two star reviews for this movie from users, regular everyday Joes who are confused by it or think it's slow and boring. Yeah. Yeah. Like that Logan Paul dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> who, who is that guy? I saw someone posted about him in, uh, on, on our discord. Yeah, I had to. I had to Google him, and I, I found out who he is, and then immediately forgot because <laughs> it's unimportant. Yeah, I think okay. he's like a podcaster, maybe some film reviewer type person, and also a WWE wrestler. Maybe I don't care. Oh, 
podcaster film review people. They're the worst. Podcasters are the worst. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So it's, it's performing pretty well so far for an opening weekend if it's hitting that record, and we'll see how well it does. Um, as you mentioned, uh, mostly positive reviews. Uh, oh, shoot. You know, I forgot to check the Rotten Tomatoes. What, is it like 80-some percent? Yeah, it's 82 from critics and 71 from users. Does that sound similar to Us to you? I feel like Us had a similar us? Rotten Tomatoes. Boy, yeah, I can't remember us. Maybe okay. it's about similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, kind of a, a strong cast. I think us had a really strong cast, and it, it's cool to see another great lineup of fresh characters here. Daniel Kaluuya, uh, he was in Get Out, which it's great to see them working together again. And I feel like that guy's stock has like gone up uh, incredibly since Get Out. Uh, I think he For won. For sure, man. Yeah, did he win like Best Supporting Actor or something? Yeah, I mean, well, first, yeah, he was nominated for Best Actor for Get Out. He didn't win. But then in 2021, he won the award for Best Supporting Actor in Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah, he's got various other roles, and he's yep. in the Marvel Universe in the Black Panther film. So, yeah, right. a lot of people in this movie, their their stock is rising. Yeah, it always blows me away that he's English, because, like, all these roles he plays, he, like, plays, like, this average American dude. And it's when you, when you hear him talk in interviews and stuff, he's, he's just like this English dude, which is wild. Yeah, I just watched him get interviewed on Hot Ones. I could barely understand what he was <laughs> saying sometimes. He's got a <laughs> thick British accent. Uh, was it a good episode? Did they talk about this film? They didn't talk about Note very much. It actually, as much as I love uh, Kaluuya as a performer, it wasn't a bad episode, but it, it wasn't a Hot Ones classic, unfortunately. Oh, uh, man. Did he get to the end? He did. I mean, he did great. He crushed yeah. the wings. Got it. It wasn't a bad episode at all, but it wasn't a standout. Have you noticed on Hot Ones, like I've caught a few episodes lately, everyone now makes it till the end. Like there are very few people now who drop off midway. That's true. I haven't seen a drop off in a while. Earlier on in the show, people were, yeah. people dropped off a lot more frequently. Yeah, I know. Oh man, maybe for our podcast sometime, we should like mimic a Hot Ones environment. Uh, and oh. see how far we get through the podcast. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe next year's in-person five-year anniversary. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to make sure we have uh, multiple bathrooms uh, available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll just rent the same place we did last time. Two yeah. great bathrooms. Work yeah, out. that's perfect. That sounds good. Uh, yeah, okay, cool. So, so, so not, not a great uh, interview then uh, with him? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm making it sound bad. It was a good good interview, but it, it's it wasn't a hot ones classic for me. Okay, and then do you recognize Kiki Palmer? Have you uh, seen any of her work? He sh- I knew her from Hustlers. She's been in yeah. loads of other stuff. I just haven't seen much of what she's been in, unfortunately. Yeah, same. That's the only thing I've seen her into. I I guess she's in that Scream TV show, which I I don't know. Do you think you'd ever check that out? Yeah, one day I'll check that out. Okay. Uh, Steven Yun, uh, we saw him in Mayhem. Did you catch, uh, Minari by any chance last year? Yes, year I really liked Minari. Yeah, I like him, man. He's, he's a solid actor. He's great. Yeah, he was in, uh, he's worked with big directors, too. I mean, he was in, uh, Okja as well. Sorry to bother you. Right. Obviously, Walking The Walking Dead. Dead. I can't yeah. remember if you said that. Nah. Yeah, yeah, he's done some big stuff. I, th- I think one of the standout people here is the cinematographer, uh, how do you pronounce it? Hoyt Van Hoytima? Yeah, that's as close as I could probably get to. Okay, yeah. This guy uh, has worked with Christopher Nolan on like Dunkirk and Interstellar, uh, Let the Right One In, Spectra. Did you see this movie in IMAX by any chance? I didn't, did you? No, I really want to go back and see it because I guess it was shot in IMAX. But I know, yeah. I kind of wish I had done that. 
Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, this guy, like, he kind of stands out with with his, uh, like, I feel like that, that part of the movie definitely jumps out, the, the visual component of it. Yes, for sure. Um, Hoyt also shot Let the Right One In. I can't remember if you mentioned that, but another horror classic. Yep, yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, and I think he shot this film in Kodak and IMAX. So, uh, yeah, considering maybe checking it out in IMAX, uh, just because, I, I don't know, I didn't realize IMAX was still a thing people went to see. I thought it was just a, a scam to get you to pay more to watch the same movie. <laughs> That's kind of the way I feel about it, too, but it's been probably a decade at least since I've seen an IMAX film, so I should probably check check one out sometime soon. What was the last one? Was it Interstellar or like The Dark Knight or something? Oh, man, that's a good question. Maybe The Dark Knight. It could have been Avatar. Oh, yeah, I forgot that was like in a bunch of different formats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, soundtrack is done by the same dude who did Get Out and Us. And I, yeah, I always feel like these films have a pretty strong, prominent soundtrack. Did anything jump out to you in this one? Yeah, the, uh, you know, Us had the um, I Got, I got five, 5 on it, it remix, which yeah. was like just emblematic of that movie and really cool. And I think this is, uh, this movie's I Got 5 on it is a slowdowned version of Sunglasses at Night. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool how we, how we brought, brought it like an old song like that back. Yeah, I it's love it. Cool to hear. Um, other, I think that's all the background I had. I, I think this is the first film uh, as part of like a multi-year distribution deal. His studio has signed with Universal Pictures. But what, what else you got? Anything else interesting? Nothing else too interesting. I mean, the the uh, in the opening, Keith David is uh, Daniel Kaluuya's dad um, from They Live and The Thing. Uh, oh, he's in They Live. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. And then the cinematographer slash director guy who's in the movie is played by a guy named Michael Wincott, who is the villain from one of my favorite movies, The Crow. Oh, cool. He's got a very uh, distinct voice. Does he? Very distinct. Yeah, he's like a cartoon cartoon villain in The Crow, just based on the voice alone. I still need to see that movie. I feel like you've talked it up quite a bit. You've never seen it? Oh, we got to watch that together. Heavens no. Who who directed that? You know, I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know. Oh, it was okay. like one of those movies that's my favorite movie from childhood, but it hasn't like, I haven't brought it into my more analytical, like critical <laughs> thinking adulthood yet. Are you scared to? No, not really. I mean, I, I probably last, uh, unfortunately, it's been a few years since I've seen it, but uh, I know I've seen it recently enough to know that it still holds up, Yeah, but not recently enough that I'm like you know noting the director and the people who participated in it Mm, okay and it's not like is it horror horror adjacent at all it's dark fantasy dark action doesn't isn't he a ghost doesn't someone come back from the dead yeah he comes back from the dead yeah okay cool um yeah i'll I'll, I'll check that one out soon but yeah that's cool i I didn't recognize that guy at all so cool to know he's done some other interesting films Cool, cool. Well, yeah, that's that's about all I have that's worth mentioning. Uh, should I get to the Ohio Connection? Let's do the Ohio Connection. All right. Our Ohio Connection, as always, comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. 
So swing by the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant for some great food and drinks if you're in the area. And Alex says, Nope is a science fiction horror film written, directed, and co-produced by Jordan Peele. It stars Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and Stephen Young as residents of an isolated town who witness a mysterious and abnormal event and attempt to capture video evidence of an unidentified flying object. Kaluuya's breakthrough performance came in 2017 when he starred in Jordan Peele's first horror film, Get Out, which garnered him a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Actor. This was followed by prominent roles in Black Panther, Widows, Queen and Slim, as well as his portrayal of Black Panther Party leader Fred Hampton and Judas and the Black Messiah, for which he won the Academy Award, BAFTA Award, Critics' Choice Award, Golden Globe Award, and Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Supporting Actor. Judas and the Black Messiah was filmed primarily in Cleveland and Mansfield, Ohio. No way, really. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Have you seen that film? No, no, I still have not seen that. Have yeah, you? no, I really want to. Uh, it's, it's been on my list. Gotta Mansfield got a warm place in my heart because a buddy of mine had a cabin there, and we we spent many a drunken evening in, in uh, Mansfield, Ohio. You know, Mansfield's not a bad place. I, I once met a friend in, in downtown for lunch, and it's like a quaint uh, downtown. It's like surrounded by like abandoned like steel mills and stuff. It's kind of cool. Cool. And it's where I think the Shawshank Redemption was shot as well. That's true. Yeah. But cool. Movie yeah. Nice. history, Mansfield, Ohio. Yeah. My, my, it's, it's worth a stop along the way. Uh, awesome. Well, yeah, great, great connection. Thanks, Alex. That's, that's a good one. Um, all right. Well, anything else or should we get to the plots and the review and hit some spoilers? Let's get to the plot. All right. Cool. Hey, uh, before we do, though, do you mind if we take a quick break? I, I just uh, remembered I got to give the dog a uh, dinner. Um, you mind if I uh, call you right back? Yeah, sure, man. Just give me a call back. All right. Cool. Thanks. I'll be back. Hey, Brian, sorry about that. I'm back. Yeah, how did everything go with the pup? Oh, you know, it, it was fine, but I, I made this mistake where uh, while I was pouring its food into her, or pouring her food into the bowl, I accidentally looked her straight in the eye. And then the next thing I knew, I, I was on the floor covered in dog shit. Uh, I think that, that really just kind of triggered her when I when I looked at her. Uh, <laughs> t- typical Tuesday mistake. Wow, yeah, you don't want to look them in the eye, man. I'd love to see the uh, slow-mo replay of how you ended up on the floor and covered in dog shit <laughs> faster than you even knew what was happening. I know, man. It was all a blur. Just it's a talented to dog. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When it wants to get violent, it just uh, goes for it and then knows where to drop that shit. That's, that's <laughs> all right, we'll jump into the plot of this film. Uh, this movie opens uh, with a shot of a t- TV studio set, and we see this chimpanzee sitting in what appears to be the aftermath of some violent, chaotic scene. There's blood on the stage, the seats are empty, and this applause sign is, is blinking. Uh, we then jump to a horse ranch in California. We meet our main character, OJ, who uh, him and his father own this ranch, and he's talking to his father when all of a sudden random metal objects rain down from the skies and uh, his dad is injured when a nickel pierces his eye and lodges in his brain and ultimately kills his dad. Uh, what do you think of this setup? Uh, kind of creepy, ominous, or what were your thoughts? I thought it was a great 
slow, like steady opening that got you introduced to these characters. But yeah, also very ominous and foreboding. You had a feeling if you saw the trailers or even knew anything about this movie, you knew it had something to do with something from the sky. So this set it up nicely. What did you think? Uh, I agree. I agree. Like this is a cool way to kind of tease uh, what some of like what you think you know this film's about, which is one thing I forgot to ask you in the uh, first half of this um, conversation. You didn't see a trailer, so did you know this movie was going to be about aliens? I unfortunately couldn't really avoid the aliens thing just from people talking about it, and I think even like certain movie posters kind of give it away. Yeah. Also, um, some people are saying that NOPE is an acronym for not of planet Earth. Oh, interesting. Huh. Yeah. Like N.O.P.E. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Similar like sim- symbolism or like two-way meaning as uh, us was. It was a two-way meaning? I think people talked about that being like the U.S. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Oh, man, I totally forgot about that. Uh, cool. Yeah, so, okay, so you, you knew it was going to be Aliens. So, uh, I, you know, I, I thought it was going to be Aliens, too, from the trailers. that w- That's where it was all leading. But part of me didn't want to believe it because, like, how scary are Aliens, right? Sure, right? Yeah. Um, and we can talk about that in, in some of the scares. Sure. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so after his father's death, OJ takes over the family business with the help of his sister, M. Uh, and th- these two are like kind of opposites where he's pretty reserved and, you know, not like very social. And she's kind of like all about uh, she, she's got great charisma and like promotes herself and like the family business is a side hustle for her. And there's some friction between them. Uh, we also learn that the two of them are descendants of the actor from the first Hollywood motion picture, which was just uh, a short reel of a person on a horse, but whose name has been wiped out from history. I forgot to look into it. Is that true that that's the first film ever taken? I, wow, I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't verify that. It rang a bell to me when I saw it, but I'm not sure if that's true. I kind of assumed I would find it like naturally in the background of this film, but that was never kind of brought up there. I think it might be true. Yeah. I'm, I'm embarrassed that we don't know this. I <laughs> know. Let's, let's keep with that uh, understanding. Uh, otherwise, I'll come back and edit all this out. <laughs> all right. <laughs> We're always so embarrassed of our stupidity. We always edit it all out. I know. Yeah, yeah. Our episodes are usually like three times the length. <laughs> Just cut it all down. <laughs> um, all so that's think- left is the smartest, wittiest stuff imaginable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the cream of the crop. <laughs> Uh, so things are kind of tough. They're having trouble making ends meet and keeping their ranch afloat. So to make ends meet, they sell uh, one of their horses to a theme park that's run by this guy named Jupe, who's played by Steven Yun. We learned that Jupe was this child actor back in the day, and he was on the set of a show called Gordy's Home, which is what that opening scene was a reference to, where it's a show and there's a chimpanzee as, as one of the main characters. Uh, we get a hint from him here that the show ended when something went horribly wrong on the show, causing Gordy the chimpanzee to react uh, violently and, and shutting the show down. Um, what do what, you think of, of the setup so far and all these characters and, and the dynamics and, and the background? I thought it was really interesting. I really love Stephen Young, so I was glad to see him. The Gordy thing, and I think I'm not alone here, 
was a struggle to connect to the rest of the movie. So you're kind of wondering how that fits in. And some people might still be wondering even when the movie is over. So mm-hmm. that was interesting to me, but I, I didn't dislike it. Um, and we, there's more of that to come. So uh, I was on board with all this setup and uh, I really liked the characters. I, I thought everyone was giving a great performance as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I uh, lo- love like the dynamics between the characters uh, on top of like the other performances. Uh, also, I think it's interesting that like yeah, we have two uh, people here who own a ranch uh, and like someone who's running uh, an amusement park like in the middle of nowhere, and all are minorities, which typically not the stereotype of a person who like would own those businesses, right? Like that's kind of different. Like seeing Stephen Young as like a a theme park owner. Uh, and like in a cowboy hat, it kind of, it, I don't know, it just like feels very different for him, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I read online that Jesse Plemons was originally, I think, offered a role in this film, but ended up oh, turning yeah. it down to take another gig. And I was wondering if maybe Jesse Plemons was supposed to be playing Stephen Young's part, just because I could totally see him in that role. Yeah, that would make a lot more sense, right? But Yeah, but I'm not totally sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's cool. And, and then you're right, the, the Gordy uh, flashbacks uh, kind of don't fit because, like, the rest of this film is taking place in rural uh, California, like in the mountains and wilderness, or pretty rural area. And then, like, uh, yeah, that's like what in the late 90s. Uh, and it's kind of flashbacks here every now and then. And it, it kind of feels like almost another movie. Yeah, right. And the family has, a, you know, a connection to Hollywood. Their dad is kind of like the most legendary horse trainer in Hollywood. And that's what their, you know, that's what their farm trades in is renting out these horses to Hollywood productions when they need to train horse. So everyone, even though they're out in the middle of nowhere, it's presumably not too crazy far. I mean, it is isolated, but somewhere near L.A. And, you know, so it's not surprising that Jupe has a connection to entertainment as well. Oh, sure. Yep. That makes sense. So then one night after seeing one of his horses get spooked and run off into the distance, OJ sees something kind of like a bleak round sphere or something flying through the sky. He's spooked by this and scared, uh, but his sister convinces him that there might be an opportunity here for them to profit off of this if they were to catch it on film. So the two of them invest in a bunch of recording equipment, which sparks the interest of Angel, who's this guy who works at this electronics store. And the three of them set up some video recording equipment and point it towards the sky with the goal of catching whatever is in the sky on video. Um, One evening, OJ walks into his barn. We see the lights have been turned on mysteriously, and he goes and turns it off, and they turn back on. And then he sees these small alien-looking things uh, staring him down. And I think we get kind of a, a pretty scary sequence where they're like kind of stalking him in this barn until finally he just says nope and punches one of them. Uh, but then it turns out to be some kids playing a prank on him. Uh, I, th- I thought the scene was really scary. What, what did you think? I loved it. Yeah, it was scary, man. Yeah. Especially when, like, it's kind of creepy at first. You're, like, on edge. And then one of them just kind of playfully swings out from behind a doorway. Yeah. And the whole <laughs> audience, you could, like, see everyone throw their shoulders back. And we were all like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> like, that, I think everyone had a nope moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love, like, how slow, like, they kind of revealed themselves. Uh, when they're like peeking out at him from behind like a pole or something, uh, it was it was pretty scary. But a part of me was also like, oh shit! Like, is this? Uh, are they revealing like an alien like way too quickly? And is that it? Like, did, did a part of you say that to yourself? No, I really didn't have time to think just because I was so intrigued by what was going on. Um, 
But man, like, you know, Peel's movies have such layers to them, and I'm always kind of looking for deeper meaning in things. But it's so easy to forget that he just, what, he loves horror movies, and he directs horror sequences so well. Like, like the scene in Us when they show up on the front lawn, or uh, when, oh man, there's like a haunting scene that always sticks with me where Elizabeth, um, God, I can never remember her name. She's like cackling silently to herself. Uh, There's just such great little horror sequences in his stuff that you forget that he can make a scary movie. I know. And I feel like with us in this film, you see a lot more of that. I I don't don't remember so many of those types. Well, actually, in Get Out, you had like that running scene. And actually, that's, yeah, I think in Get Out, you had a few of those. But I definitely feel like he's amped that up a bit with budget in, in these last few films. Right these horror sequences. So yeah, this, this, this works really well uh, and, and it spooks you. And then you realize it was a prank. Um, and part of you might think that it was uh, the aliens coming here. Um, but that night uh, a UFO emerges again, but the camera is blocked by a praying mantis. So they're not able to capture it on film. Um, I forget if he actually faces off with the uh, UFO in this scene. Do you, do you remember like, does he like kind of just run inside? I As think he just runs inside, but I can't remember. Okay, but it's it's sl- slightly suspenseful, right? When it kind of emerges. Yeah, for sure. Clouds. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there are multiple suspenseful scenes with the the UFO. Yeah, and it's kind of a tricky one. Like it hides in a cloud sometimes, and sometimes it's just like a, a ray of light that's kind of pointing down. So yeah, it's it's hard to get a read on like what's actually going on here with this UFO. Yeah, it's more nebulous than you would expect. Exactly. Um, so we get, uh, I think at this point, an extended flashback to the Gordy show that the movie opened with, and we see that what had happened was there was a balloon that popped on set, and Gordy, the chimpanzee, kind of went off and brutally attacks the cast, especially this young uh, woman who played uh, one of Jupe's co-stars or co-characters, um, Jupe hid under the table while this chimpanzee just kind of like went to town mauling this uh, young woman. And when Gordy sees Jupe, we get a tense moment where uh, Gordy kind of comes up to him uh, and we think he's, you know, he might attack Jupe or something, but then he just kind of fist bumps him and then he gets shot and killed by authorities. Uh, I thought this was like kind of a, like, yeah, you're right. Like it doesn't like go with the vibe of like the rest of the film, but this felt like kind of a brutal sequence. What, What did you think? surprisingly brutal like I was kind of hoping like oh god please stop with that noise of him like (laughs) mauling or eating the girl's face and it was scary like I was afraid of this scene it was a a freaky scene for me one of the scarier things I've seen in the theater in a while yeah yeah I know it's it's uh and yeah it's like you're not seeing like what he's doing but you're just seeing like uh, you're hearing the noises of him like kind of pummeling her and like the other dude who like comes in and so it's like yeah it's really effective and gets under your skin quite a bit mm-hmm. pretty well done. agreed man yep uh so then back oh back in present time so jupe is putting on the special show at his amusement park and he has a horse in a cage and he tells the audience to watch as a ufo is about to come and eat the horse so we find out through this that jupe knows about this like secret ufo that's been hanging around and he's gonna put on a spectacle and enable people to see or give people the the opportunity here to see it actually in action so the ufo appears but rather than just eating the horse it sucks up the entire audience 
into its tube. Um, OJ shows up to save his horse, and the two of them narrowly escape being sucked into the UFO. Uh, what do you think? Because this is like the first time we see the UFO in action, like sucking people into it. And we get like a shot of them in this like tube kind of thing inside the UFO. Uh, did you understand what was happening here? Like, did this feel menacing or scary to you? Yeah, I think I understood what was happening. And I don't know if you know it for sure here or not, but it was at this point that I started to put together that this was an organism rather than a spaceship. Like, mm. cause they just felt like they were in like, like a, a food canal or something. Yeah. Uh, like they went into an orifice. Um, and it was freaky and there was a cool visual here that the girl who was mauled by the chimp was in the audience as a grown woman now yeah, and hiding her face, but you still see some of the disfigurement from what happened to her. And it was just a very eerie, ominous visual visual with her slowly standing up and looking into the sky as this UFO approached. That was really cool. Yeah. I like that. Uh, that's cool that you figured out at this point that the UFO was like an organism, uh, I was still like thinking that maybe this UFO is just like uh, holding people inside of it for fun. Like I, I, sure. I wasn't, yeah, I, 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 like, yeah, part of me was still wondering if this like thing is trying to kill people or eat them or just like hang out with them or something. Um, so was, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I want you inside me for fun. Yeah, just hang out in here for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's what UFOs do. They beam people up. So I, I, I thought maybe it was just imprisoning people there, but. Um, right, that's true. You know, they p- people are typically returned in those UFO stories. Exactly, and they <laughs> they live to tell about it. Yeah. Um, oh man, did you used to watch those SNL skits with uh, Kate McKinnon? Oh, those are so funny. <laughs> those are great. <laughs> Ended up on the roof of a Long John Silver's. <laughs> oh man, yeah. God, I miss her. Um, so yeah, but I, I think similar to, to what you're saying, OG also kind of figures out here that uh, this thing is isn't a UFO. It's actually like some kind of organism monster that's like eating people. So back at the house or on the ranch, Emin Angel. Oh, Emin Angel. His name's Angel, right? Yeah. Yeah, Emin Angel are trapped inside the house while the UFO is kind of stalking them. Or not the UFO now. Now that we know it's a monster, it's stalking them right outside the house. And suddenly they hear the sound of all of the audience screaming inside of the monster and it's raining and suddenly blood just starts pouring onto the house and drenching the windows as we're assuming the monster is just kind of devouring everyone. Um, Man, this scene, I I thought was amazing. Like this, I thought really leaned into like all the horror elements that like you want to see in a film, just like blood coming over the windows and hearing the screaming. What, What did you think of that? Really cool, man. I loved it as well. And we were talking earlier about how aliens just don't seem scary. But between the sequence with the little aliens popping out from behind a corner that, even though it turns out to be kids, was still a scary scene. Yeah. And the Gordy scene and this raining blood scene, he found a way to make this movie scary. He did. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I think he leaned into all like the technical aspects and uh, yeah, really put in some great suspense here. And uh, I, I thought, yeah, awesome visuals and, and great sound design. Yes. Oh, God, the sound design with all those screams and stuff. Yeah. Really yeah, that, cool. that was awesome. All right. So then OJ is trying to get back to the house, but he gets trapped while the monster is hovering above his car. Um, one of the things I forgot to mention is anytime the monster is around, anything that's electrical or whatever uh, kind of shuts down. So somehow here he figures out that similar to animals, if you don't look directly at the monster, it won't attack you. 
and he's able to use that to his advantage and sneak to another car and the three of them were able to escape. Was it clear to you how he figured out that that was like uh, one of its weaknesses? You know, I think there was a dream sequence he had where it was like some animals just can't be tamed. He remembered his dad saying that. Mm. That was shortly after he had kind of gone off on M. So I took it to believe that he was thinking about himself, like like I'll never learn to control my temper or whatever. But he might have just been putting together that the UFO was acting like an animal. And we got the scene earlier of a horse freaking out because uh, everyone on the movie set that he was on was making too loud of noises and getting too close to it. We see the chimp freak out because a balloon popped. So they've been trying to get us there. So um, I don't remember the exact moment that sparked that thought, though. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you're right. I think he has like a flashback here of like that horse at the at the beginning seeing its reflection or looking in the eye of someone. Um, so maybe that's just like a universal like animal thing where if you don't want to piss them off, you don't look them in the eye or make eye contact. I feel like I always heard that too. Like if you're around an aggressive dog, don't make eye contact with it. You ever hear that about bears by any chance? Um, no, I just feel like with a bear, with a, I only know what to do when I encounter a black bear and that's to make yourself big and seem loud. Oh, what about the eyes? Are you supposed to look at it? Um, they don't, I don't remember hearing anything about the eyes. Mm, interesting. I feel like if you're trying to be big and intimidating, then it's fine to look in those eyes. Yeah, eye contact seems aligned with uh, that description. Intimidation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, so uh, he's, he's able to use that, and it works, and they're able to escape the immediate danger. But the three of them still haven't been able to capture this monster on video, and OJ is kind of set that like they need to get that video of, of this monster because it's going to help them ultimately keep their farm. And uh, I think it's also kind of like recognizing um, it's it's a throwback to like the original video of like their grandfather, right? Like being on video or their great, great, great grandfather being on video and not being like not owning that video, I think. Yeah, um, right. He wasn't recognized for being the first character to or person to appear on film, everyone else who was involved was recognized, but not him. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. Where you know, that's where a theme of race pops up in the movie. Yeah, and I think that's driving some of his motivation here. Is like we got to capture this thing on film and have our name on it so that we can capture the benefits of it. Sure. Um, they nicknamed the monster Jean Jacket in a reference to a horse that his dad gave away that belonged to M. Did you understand that connection? I didn't understand. I missed how they got the name Jean Jacket. I, I remember the storyline about the dad giving away a horse that belonged to M. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I missed how they came up with Jean Jacket. Yeah, I, I feel like there's something there. I, I got to dig into that one a bit more. Um, and I think this echoes some of the negative reviews. There's a lot packed in. There's a lot of little clues. Yeah. It's not an easy movie to follow. It's not that it's super complicated, but it plays like a Spielberg movie. Like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Jurassic Park kept popping into my head as I was watching this. Oh, yeah. And for that kind of movie, that kind of big summer blockbuster, action-adventure-style film, it's harder to understand or keep up with than most of those films. Even like the high-level story here where like we've there's an alien or there's some kind of monster and we're trying to catch it on... Uh, video like I, I feel like there's there was like a simple story that rises to the top but then 
as you dig into it and like the character and, and, and like the driver, the motivations, that's kind of where you get into some of those more nuances. Um, but do you think like at a high level, like it's still pretty complicated? I think at a high level, it's fairly straightforward, but I, I didn't have trouble understanding the high level stuff, but I think some people may have. Sure. Yeah. Some of the details get a little fuzzy. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And especially as we come into this third act, uh, I think they start applying some things, which, uh, I'm not sure I fully understood how they got there, but basically the three of them, now they decide they need to go get video of this thing and they hire this, uh, Hollywood cinematographer who they met in the beginning to come and he brings an IMAX uh, mechanical camera so that the electricity wouldn't cut out from it. And they set up a trap for this monster using these wavy tube men balloons to draw it in. And they're able to draw the monster down, but the cameraman, the cinematographer, he gets, I think, a little greedy and wants a better shot. So he gets, uh, he climbs up a mountain and ends up getting sucked up by the monster. Angel gets sucked up, but he wraps himself in some barbed wire, which I think causes the monster to spit him out. OJ draws the monster away from the others by staring it down, while M makes a run for the theme park and releases this giant helium balloon figure that goes into the sky and catches the attention of the monster. Also, at this part, the monster has kind of evolved from its spaceship-like shape into... Uh, almost like a jellyfish or like some kind of huge shape. I, I saw it like referenced as like a biblical angel. Did, did you see that? A biblical angel? Yeah. On Wikipedia, it keeps saying like, oh yeah, it takes on the shape of a biblical angel, which I'm not sure what that is. Do you know what that is? Wow. Okay. No, I didn't catch that. Yeah. I was thinking like, you know, jellyfish, squid, that type of stuff. Yeah. What did you think of like this expanded, like grown monster? I thought it was really cool. I th- I thought it looked pretty good. I-, I was amazed that they were able to make it both look like a UFO, traditional flying saucer, and like this sea creature without me being like, oh, that was a cheap trick. Because if you see what certain sea creatures can do, like an octopus, how it changes shape and color, jellyfish, it's not... I, w- I was, I'm like... I wouldn't be surprised if some sort of sky creature existed that could do this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I would, but yeah. it's believable. To me, it looked organic enough to pass. I, I wasn't like, come on. I thought it was yeah. actually just really cool. I thought it was really cool too, yeah, and, and like really original. Part of me like wanted it to look uh, like a monster, like really scary or something, since this is like a horror film, but then it it, it like looks more, um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like beautiful uh, and like artistic but uh, equally, like, uh, haunting. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much like like a, a sea creature, like, underwater, like, kind of morphing its shape. And, yeah, it felt very believable. Like, yeah, why would it turn into, like, some, like, uh, thing with, like, big teeth or something? Like, this is something from, like, out of this world. So kind of, Yeah, kind of and I think it. that's the way a lot of people feel when they watch uh, underwater, like, ocean documentary or go scuba diving, like, that they've stumbled into an alien world. So I think it's really cool that yeah. this is... And we, we say, yeah, we're thinking alien, but really at this point, it might not be. It might just be some undiscovered creature that's lived in Earth's atmosphere for as long as who knows. That's true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, like, yeah, they, there's like no explanation here of like what it is or, or why it's there or anything, uh, which is, is kind of cool. It adds to the, the mystery around it. I agree. Um, so, yeah, as, as I mentioned, she lets this uh, big helium balloon 
of a person going to the sky. The monster goes to attack the figure, and she's able to use a Polaroid film camera uh, at the fair to finally get that money shot of the monster right before it eats the balloon. Um, After it eats the balloon, the balloon explodes inside of it, and it kills the monster. And the movie ends with her seeing her brother, OJ, on the horse as the smoke clears, and we learn that he's still alive because we thought he might have died earlier. Um, yep. Yeah. What, what, what did you What did you think of this movie? I really liked it. I appreciated the big blockbuster feel of it, but also the very Jordan Peele feel of it as well. I thought those two things were woven together fairly seamlessly in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, great performances, as always in Peele's movies, and great dialogue and really enjoyable characters. And yeah, like we said, there were some scary moments in this movie. There were, yeah. Yeah, we had like a few scenes that I thought like dialed up the scares really well. Did you feel like the, did, did you get any of those scares? I feel like the last segment, like when they're tracking the monster and pulling it in, that feels a little bit more adventury than scary, maybe because it's in the daytime. But w- what did you think? Do you feel like that was like suspenseful or horrific? I don't think it was scary. I think it was suspenseful. I th- When I think Jurassic Park, there is a lot of parallels just to like pacing and stuff like that too because there are some scenes in Jurassic Park that are terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, the conclusion, although there's a pretty scary scene in the kitchen, feels a little bit more action-adventure-y than some of the scarier scenes in there. Um, so I, I think of it as a movie like that. Like it's got an action-adventure feel. I know it's not – I wouldn't call it an action-adventure movie, but yeah, it has that feel. So I wasn't really – expecting to be scared in the third act. I was just expecting Resolve. big stakes oh. and some action, and that's what I got. So yeah. I think some people had a problem with the third act, but I didn't. But did, yeah. how did you feel? I kind of feel the same. I feel like we had a lot of scares throughout, uh, which like built up the suspense in your head. You kind of knew what this monster was and capable of it. Just the concept of it being this thing that's like living there and like stalking you uh, is pretty scary. So yeah, while the ending wasn't like this big showdown. Well, I mean, it is kind of a showdown, but um, while it wasn't like this big uh, horrific kind of thing and like it wasn't like a climactic, like scary moment, it was still pretty cool. This this whole movie like felt to me like a Spielberg meets King type of vibe. Like you ever, uh, you, you've seen that, um, that creep show segment, right? About like the oil slick or whatever in the water. Uh, in the raft? Yeah, the rafts, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, it was a little bit like that. Yeah, like something's like just kind of like saying that you don't know where it's come from and it's like killing people. Uh, yeah, and, and then like the Spielberg element of like it being like this big space thing and alien fight, uh, maybe an alien thing, but yeah, it's a real cool combination of elements, but I agree with you on, on all the positives there. Did, you mentioned the cinematography as well. You know, the cinematography isn't something I was taking note of as I was watching for whatever reason, I'm seeing that get so many positive comments in the reviews. And then I'm looking back on it. I'm like, yeah, it was a really cool, very well shot movie. And some of the stuff they did, the scope was so giant Mm -hmm. Um, and they pull it off. Well, I think this movie, even though some people are saying it's slow and I can see why they say that it's also so jam packed with various elements, themes, and aspects that I just feel I need to watch it again to totally get yeah. it. It's also a movie that your appreciation or feeling about it changes 
even in like day or two or three following it as you think about more things you didn't think about before. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And like so many interpretations of it as well. And yeah, I'm sure with rewatches, you just learn so much more um, or see a lot of other things. Uh, I, I think the cinematography here is, is huge because like, first off the setting, there's so much space in it. It's just like open landscapes, uh, which is very different, I think, compared to Get Out and Us. And then you have so many shots where it's like, you're looking at the sky, like looking for something and, and like you're in the character's point of view, just like looking all around and trying to like catch something behind the clouds. So I, I think that played a big role in, in the suspense building. Everything looked really real too. Like the alien or the monster didn't look fake to me. It just, yeah. everything looked really smooth. Like it wove right into the sky. It was, it was pretty beautiful when I, think more back on the visuals even though I wasn't taking note of the cinematography at the time it was yeah. fairly seamless it was yeah yeah I know that I, I like that part of it and I, I think that has to do with um maybe how it was shot with like the Kodak film or the, the IMAX film or whatever but yeah it feels like very uh good in terms of like uh it, it doesn't feel too like enhanced or artificial there's a point where the saucer turns sideways and you can kind of see like the ripples in its underbelly yeah that really looked cool to me and made it feel very textual and real. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the point where it clicked. Like, yeah, that's definitely like a an animal, like some living uh, being, yeah. not like some metallic surface. Um, what about like weaknesses? Like, what, what do you think this could have done better? I think the biggest weakness for me was that I wanted a little bit more from the characters. Mm. Like, I wanted to know more of the backstory. I mean, I guess I knew enough about the backstory, but I just wanted to get to know um, OJ a little bit better. I wanted to get to know M a little bit better, or even Jupe. Um, mm -hmm. But then at the same time, I, I'll, I'll toggle between the feeling that I didn't get enough and feeling like, you know, I think maybe it was just the perfect amount just the way it was. Yeah. Because... It was a long movie. I think it was a little over two hours, but I don't know. I just wanted something more. I didn't feel really in it. I felt like in it in their partnership, but I didn't feel like in it with OJ or in it with them. Mm. Like, okay. I know OJ's history. I know his flaw maybe is that he's not very like, um, you had a good word for it. Like social. Or... <laughs> he's not very social or like smooth. Yeah, uh, but I didn't really feel a scene where he was working to overcome a flaw. Not that I need that in every movie, but maybe I kind of do. So I, mm -hmm. I would have enjoyed a more clear character arc for both of them. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like all three of his films, uh, maybe that's a common theme where I don't know if it's about these characters having arcs versus them like addressing some kind of... Uh, I mean, I, I, like, yeah, I, I feel like this was more of like commenting on like a a, um, a, a system or like that they're living in. I, I don't feel like his characters generally like kind of evolve through movies. That doesn't seem like a peel thing, does it? Um, I can see that for us, but I think Chris from Get Out has a, a great arc. And if, I think you could probably go back and listen to our episode. And, and we talk a lot about it, actually, too. So like you don't think he's like dating a white girl today? Uh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> if we caught up with Chris now, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. That, that's just not something like uh, as great as, as like interesting as his movies are and as layered as they are. I don't, I don't feel like 
character development. Uh, I feel like his characters are great in, in like their interactions with each other, and that's like what we get throughout the film. But in terms of like an arc or like a, a, a progression or them kind of like realizing there's something wrong with the way they've been thinking, they need to change that. Um, you're, I, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of drawing a blank on, on that. I, I like how you do though. Um, I think there were like the character of Angel and uh, Stephen Young's character. I'm not sure if they added too much to the storyline. Uh, what, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, I think that. Uh, hmm. I thought that Angel was fun comic relief. Like, Kiki Palmer was pretty funny too, but to put it all on her shoulders with uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who was pretty much playing it straight the whole time, wouldn't have worked quite as well. I think it was a smart move. Add some more laughs with Brandon Perea in there as Angel. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he definitely brought the more of a comedic element. But yeah, th- those yeah. two felt more underdeveloped to me, but you also felt like the main two siblings were underdeveloped. Maybe a little bit, but it also, like, to Peel's credit, to Kaluuya's credit, and Palmer's credit, I also feel like you know them immediately, right? Like, you just understand them, you get them, you're there with them. It, I didn't always necessarily feel right there in their shoes, like I would have with a more developed main character, but I felt like I knew them, I f- could relate to them. You know, they were they were just easy. It was like easy performances, not overdone just the right amount of whatever they put into it. Um, it was perfect. I agree. I agree. You kind of like bought into that relationship and that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Jupe was mostly there for, you know, he gets you, he lets you expand the scope of the movie with the creature eating the whole crowd. And I think he's also there for some thematic reasons maybe too, which we'll touch upon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'll get, get to that in a minute. Um, the, the, the one other weakness I wanted to see if, if you had an issue with was uh, times where the movie felt like it was a little bit on the nose. Um, there was like a motorcycle driver, the whole like Gordy uh, scene. Um, it, it felt like a different vibe and obviously aligns with like the theme of the movie. But did you ever feel like this movie was a little on the nose or not as subtle as it could have been? I actually, hmm. I don't know if I thought that. I, I did think Gordy may have been a little bit of the flaw that we've talked about with other movies where something's there just for the metaphor or just for the theme, but doesn't really function well on the story all that much. Um, so th- I guess that's a, maybe a little bit of a complaint with the Gordy scene, but I have a theory on why that might be there. Um, and then I actually, th- I thought the motorcycle guy was a funny addition. Um, added some comic relief to that scary third act or the climactic action pack third act rather um but yeah i'm seeing a lot of people complain about the motorcycle guy i, I thought it was funny i agree it was funny it, like broke the tension up a bit but uh, i just feel like his dialogue could have been expanded to just like oh, i need to get that picture even like as he's like being sucked into the monster he's like sure. giving me that camera uh right. which yeah felt, felt a little unbelievable but um yeah let, let's jump to the the themes then so yeah what, what do you think this movie was about or like what, what was the story here Well, I have a theory, but I feel like it might be kind of out there, so I'm curious what you think first. All right. 
Oh, you can you can tell me. <laughs> I thought <laughs> you thought I, I said I was gonna go. Yeah, I, I thought you were gonna tell me what you think. So then yeah, I'll tell I want to hear what first. you think first. Oh, about oh yeah yeah my theories. Uh, well, you know I know I, I think there was there are a lot of uh, layers to this. Uh, obviously, I, I think the most prominent one is about like histories being erased and the need to like kind of own your history. Um, that kind of feels like what was being brought up with the frame round story with the. Uh, person on the horse that uh, you know no one gives kind of tribute to and then like trying to get this picture for uh, you know it's documented and then uh, the exploitation of uh, animals on screen I think that's the the blatant one but then also of just like minority characters in Hollywood potentially um, and and like the roles they play and not getting like the due credit for it um, and then some aspects of like white greed I guess with the way the um, cinematographer like kind of chases like the shots and how it like gets the best of him as he climbs up the mountain. Um, so th- those are like some of the big themes that jumped out to me. But what, what about you? Yeah, I think that I'm seeing a lot of people talk about like the animal rights and abuse uh, and exploitation of animals and stuff like that. I didn't even think about that very much during the movie. But yeah, I, I suppose that can be in there for sure. Um, I even heard some people talking about the film versus digital debate. Like none of their digital cameras work when the creature comes close because of what it does with electrical signals and in the end like old school film wins the day oh interesting so commentary on like film shooting or film types yeah right okay yeah um yeah maybe a little bit of exploiting tragedy too or like um or exploiting the things that happen to you in real life for financial gain like uh with gordy and like that was one parallel between jupe and them was like they were trying to have their Oprah moment with this UFO and he was exploiting his Oprah moment, if you will, by being there when the Gordy shit went down, being a part of like a, a tragedy. Oh, and like how he has that back room and like he tries right. people. Yeah, he's like, got a back room. He invites like overpaying tourists into who want to like sleep in the room with all the Gordy memorabilia for a night for 40 grand or whatever. Yeah, right, right. Um. Yeah, I think those are all themes. And yeah, the... The erasing of history and racism. Um, I the stuff you should know did a podcast about black cowboys and talked about how like twenty five percent of cowboys were black, but you never see a black cowboy depicted on screen. So, I, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of race relations type stuff going on here with just the characters owning this ranch and sure. and their dad playing the role that he did in Hollywood. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's um, cool. Cool to bring that to light. But the theme I thought was there that I'm going to try to defend and I can't tell if I'm onto something or if I'm just like high on my own supply. But I thought that it was like really very much about race and that the space creature represented like the white man, capital W, capital M. Interesting. In So mm-hmm. <laughs> I will explain. Um, so... In Horror Noir, that documentary that came out a couple years ago, there's a section where they talk about how King Kong and, like, primates on screen and racist depictions of black people as primates means that, like, in early horror, King Kong and other primates and monsters were kind of, like, stand-ins for black people, right? They were symbolism for, like, a black man. I think that creature from the Black Lagoon might fall into that as well, right? Yeah, yep, they bring that up. And... Jordan Peele is, of course, a part of that documentary. I'm sure he's acutely aware of 
the meaning of like a King Kong type monster. So his choice to put a chimp in the movie like kind of threw me. And then I was like, well, maybe the chimp is there because cinematically a chimp has been used in the past to represent like a black man or like, you know, a primate. Um, This is all really racist. I'm not buying into this, but this is what, you know, um, horror noir purports. And that's just how it was in the past. Um, So I was just kind of wondering if people maybe put that in there to say like, okay, this is the like cinematic representation of a black man like this creature in the sky is my cinematic representation of the white man um and there were some parallels that i like was trying to draw so and i think these are like go to like history and slavery uh you know a lot of black cowboys started out as slaves and then you know they were freed so they mentioned you have to like know how to act around it and it won't be aggressive towards you um don't look it directly in the eye. It's territorial and trying to assert dominance. Like, there was a preview for a movie about the lynching of Emmett Till, a little boy who was killed for, like, looking at a white woman the wrong way. Did that play ahead of your movie? It did, yeah. So I feel like that really reiterates these concepts to me. Like, he was killed for just acting the wrong way or being presumptuous around a white person or maybe even just looking them in the eye. We don't even know the stories vary about what actually happened there. So these type of rules make me think like, okay, well, that's interesting. Like, don't look it in the eye, know how to act, uh, know your role a little bit. Yeah, man, that theory kind of, oh, do you, do you have more on that? I, I got more, but go for it. Oh, that theory kind of uh, answers one of my questions because like when it's revealing itself at the end, uh, do you hear the sound effect of like a whip? when it's like opening its uh, mouth or whatever, or like, uh, um, you know, showing its green part, uh, I feel like the sound it's making is kind of like a whip, like it's whipping someone. And so I think oh, that would play whoa, into your, man. your theory there. Wow. Yeah. That would support that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, what, what else you got? It literally robs the black people in the film of their power. The electricity goes out. Mm, yep. Um, it's ultimate destruction is that, it's fed its own inflated view of itself as a cowboy. Like it literally eats an inflatable cowboy. Like it's feeding on this idea of itself as this, you know, romanticized cowboy, like ultra ultra alpha male. Mm -hmm. uh, And that idea bursts. And and that's the ultimate downfall of quote unquote, the white man. Take that for what you will. Yeah, sure. Um, there, I thought you could even find some parallels in that they were trying to take photographic evidence. Like it would take photographic evidence of this happening for the world to finally come around to believe that it's happening, which could be paralleled to, you know, modern day cell phone videos, body cams, dash cams of police violence, whatever. Mm-hmm. There were notes of like white imperialism because wherever this thing goes, the screams of those that, those that chewed up and spit out follow closely in its wake. That might be a stretch, but I thought maybe that's what those screams could be about, like the echoing screams wherever this thing moves. Yeah, yeah, um, right. And yeah, like you said, like even white men can succumb to it. Like the director's greed kills him. The TMZ's guys, uh, who I assume is white, like his ignorance and perhaps superior superiority complex kills him. He calls her a nobody. Um, so, you know, like the, you know, the alpha white man or like, you know, just like you'd call him the man, you can say the white man can also, you know, pull victims of just 
other white men who are admiring or buying in and participating in it all. Sure, sure. Wow, dude, that that uh, I love that theory. I, I think that really clicks and it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that, that's awesome. How then, um, so I was confused about this. I, I wonder what your read is on this, but the end, um, to help his sister, he finally like kind of stares down the monster to draw it towards him. And, you know, somehow he doesn't get eaten and he survives. What do, what do you think happened there? Yeah, that I mean, that's a good question. He he stood his ground and took a risk, and it paid off. I guess could how you be, could be how you interpret that. But he set up to the oppressor. Yeah, yeah, by a simple act of like nonviolence and standing his ground. Uh, if you want to read Hordy, Gordy as uh, a black man in this movie, which can get problematic, that's where I you know my theory gets a little shaky, but. You could say his violent outburst, his violent uprising didn't work. It got him killed. Um, so maybe Chris, or not Chris, he's not Chris in this movie, OJ's, you know, silent, peaceful, standing his ground is what won the day in the end. Interesting. Yeah. And then it went and got off on its own uh, hot air balloon. Right. Which killed right. it. Yeah. And then, you know, Kiki took photos to convince the world that this violence was in fact happening. Yeah, damn, that's awesome, man. I, I love that theory. I, I'm, I'm going to sign up for that one. That's a good one. Okay. I couldn't tell if this was like a Pepe Silvia moment for me or if I was onto something. No, I, There's I, a I, lot I think... you can read into then, too, if you buy into that. It makes me want to see the movie again because, um, like Keith David, OJ's dad, he got killed by a nickel that had the face of Thomas Jefferson on it. I think Thomas Jefferson's on the nickel, and he had a really complicated relationship oh, with slavery. Yeah. He said it was wrong, but he you know, kind of subscribed to it in his day-to-day life. So, And, you know, there's maybe something there with money and classism. It could have been anything that fell from the sky to right. kill Keith David. I I feel like Peel is so deliberate and builds such symbolism into his movies that I wouldn't be surprised if a nickel was a very deliberate choice. Oh, for sure, yeah. Nothing's, like, random for him. Everything's, like, has a purpose. And, yeah, I, th- I thought right. there was, like, some kind of wealth thing, like... Uh, um, being thrown there, but I, I like that interpretation too about Thomas Jefferson. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, wow, man, that, I, I like that. That's a, that's a loaded theory, but I, I think it holds. Um, and kind of like how, you know, whose character I think is really interesting is, is Stephen Yun's uh, as Jupe. So he was on the set, and I think you're right. I think Gordy represents uh, some kind of minority, either a black actor or uh, another, because because like when when right before he dies, he fist bumps uh Stephen Young's character which to me kind of like means some kind of alliance right like uh he was killing all the white co-stars but not uh he, he didn't feel like threatened by this one and there's some kind of bonding there um but it made me wonder like what the commentary is on so Stephen Young his his character grows up and he's still kind of beholden to like this idea of like feeding some kind of monster or like using some kind of monster for like entertainment and is that like the role of trauma potentially on uh someone who's been through like obviously such a traumatic experience uh did did you read into that at all yeah i have a harder time like getting wrapping my head around what's going on with young's character and gordy um yeah i mean that might have been a justification of why he can feel so confident with a wild animal that appears to be a danger to others. Like he survived it once. Um, yeah, I do. I did feel like there was a bit of an alliance there. If Jesse Plemons was supposed to be cast as that character, it would 
poke a yeah. hole in that that theory. That would, um, yeah, that, yeah. I also couldn't tell if the blow up cowboy was supposed to be Yun, or just a generic cowboy. So if it's not a white cowboy, you know that um, my my theory on the conclusion kind of pops like a balloon. But sure. um, <laughs> yeah. I think there's, I do think I might be onto something. The mere presence of Gordy makes me feel like it, just because I I feel like Peel has to be hyper aware that like that is the tradition of uh, primates in horror movies, like the unfortunate uh, history. So for him to make that choice and put it in there, I, I just feel like he's got to be up to something. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't tell. And I think I had this issue with us too. Like it works on so many levels where it's like, is this about um, Hollywood's uh, nature to um, exploit things for profit uh, and things like it can't necessarily control like what they're trying to do with the monster, uh, or to your point, yeah, is it, is that a stand-in for um, minority and, and black actors and actresses who have been, um, you know, haven't gotten their due respect or uh, credit? Um, and is this kind of like, yeah, how, how white Hollywood treats people? Yeah, like, I don't know, there's, there's so much embedded in here and like so many different ways to interpret this one. It's, it's kind of wild. Yeah, yeah, and there's like, I think what I love about Peel's movies is there's so many things that just really work in the context of the movie of like normal like external storytelling but also are like deeper and things you don't even notice that foreshadow other things i mean we've said the word there's multiple times already but like the balloons popping in the gordy skit is uh foreshadowing the balloon popping in the finale the fist bump between gordy and jupe is it looks like a fist bump when this thing like reaches out its proboscis thing whatever you want to call it to eat this balloon like oh i didn't notice that it, did. it looks like they're like fist bumping again yeah oh that's cool yeah yeah a lot of, a lot of tie-ins uh, throughout the film so yeah d- definitely one i feel like it's, it's worth a rewatch um did you feel like the lack of explanation on what this monster was where it came from or like the all the different meetings here uh is it frustrating or are you there for it or like do you wish the film told us anything else I don't want to know any more about the monster than I knew. I I feel like sometimes I was maybe like a few seconds or minutes behind the movie and like figuring out what the characters already knew, maybe. Like, okay, they're up to something. What are they up to something? Um, but I was comfortable with that. I think knowing that it... I just feel more comfortable knowing I'm in Jordan Peele's hands. Like, whatever you think about his movies, he's always got a plan. So... I wasn't like, oh my god, this is this doesn't know what it wants to be. And it's like it knows exactly what it's doing. I just have to either figure it out or be patient and know that maybe I won't understand everything on the first watch. So I was cool with it. I, I didn't. I'm not going to say I never struggled to keep up, but it wasn't a bother to me. It was kind of a privilege because it's his movies are fun to figure out. I agree. Yeah, and it like leaves enough open space for you to kind of have fun discussions around it without like being frustrating. Uh, it just gives you like kind of what you need to know. What do you think? Uh, this is a opening quote that this movie opens on and wonder how it ties to uh, some of the theories here, but it's, uh, I will cast a bonable. Oh man. <laughs> You've always struggled with that word. I know. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Let's work through it. Let's just, everyone give him space. All He's right, going to do it. I'm going to do it one more time. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile 
and make you a spectacle. Um, what do you think that is in reference to in this film? I think that on the external level is a reference to the raining blood, like whether that blood is puke or poop or whatever sort of discharge from the monster onto the house. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, but I think you could look into racism for that too and like the extreme mistreatment of black people by white people throughout history, you know, mm-hmm. I'll make you a spectacle, if, especially if that whip sound is really in there for the reason we think it is. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, man, I, I, I agree. I, I think that's what it, what, what they're getting to here. And, and we saw that with Gordy's character. It's interesting. I, I thought there was a parallel between Gordy and the space or like the, the monster. Like those are two creatures that are trying to be used for people's gains. But uh, I like your theory because it kind of almost makes them opposing figures, even though uh, I, well, I guess they're not in a very similar space like Gordy. Uh, was obviously like shot down and like his, his rampage ended pretty quick, whereas this one had uh, a g- good go at it for a while. Right. Yeah. It's it it's tricky, and it depends on how you want to read it. Like uh, I know a few people said the animal rights and abuse type stuff, and so if you think of it that way, um, you know the Gordy has something in common with the monster, has something in common with the horses. Um, and as someone mentioned on our Discord server, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who, I want to say Margarito Dorito, but maybe I'm wrong. Each chapter of the movie, you know, they're divided into chapters with text on the screen, is named after one of the animals, whether it be Gordy or one of the horses or Jean Jacket. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I think one hole in the animal abuse theory is that they ultimately kill the the apex predator, which... I think animal activists are trying to reintroduce <laughs> predators into the wild. So yeah, that pokes a little bit of a hole in that theory. But I, you know, I think every theme has holes in it because you can't make a movie that is simply a theme. We've not knocked movies for that in the past. You got to adhere to the external story too. So I think sometimes you might have to drop the theme just to make the mechanics work. Or you might have to say, I don't really know what this means for the theme and I'm okay with it. Let people read right. as they will. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so you think PETA would have had an issue with how they treated the monster at the end of the day? I think so, because I mean, they learned how to live with it, right? You know, give it its its yeah. space, like don't uh, mess with it. It just needs to eat these horses every right. once in a while. <laughs> just <feed it> a horse. <laughs> um, That's true. But then uh, they go, they go kill it. Um, yeah. in, in terms for the pursuit of their financial gain, yeah, um, and for their own protection, which sure. is why predators have been killed. Two reasons why predators are always killed. So right. I'm not saying they shouldn't have killed Jean Jacket. This is a monster movie, and I think they're heroes in the end for thwarting the monster. But I'm just saying that could be a hole in the animal rights theory. Sure, that, that makes sense. I'm um, not saying that theme is wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there could be some validity there. Um, what, uh, oh, the last question I had for you on this, um, on the animal thing. So, yeah, this thing ate horses, but I feel like we never got to see a horse being eaten. How did you figure out that this was eating horses? Just because that guy was using it for his show? Yeah, I guess maybe that was part of it. And, um, yeah, I can't even remember if they said the horse went missing. There's a lot of stuff that the movie just, uh, I didn't get a listen to chance to listen to the whole thing, but the big picture did an episode on Nope, and they talked about how 
Jordan Peele like trusts his audiences and he doesn't spell things out. So yeah, they never really say our horses are dying. They never even say, hey, that looked like a spaceship, but it's actually just the thing's skin and it's shaped like a spaceship and it's actually an animal. Like yeah, they didn't spell they that don't out. say that in so many words. So yeah, um, I think you do have to kind of infer it. Also, there's a scene where he goes to try to buy the horses back from Yun, and he's like. Yun kind of has a stunned, silent, struggling what to say moment, and then quickly they're interrupted. Oh, so yeah. Oh, I didn't realize I that. That's a little hint, too. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That makes so much sense. I didn't realize that. Good call. All right, cool. Well, yeah, do you want to jump to the rating then? Let's do it. All right. Well, how many child actors being mauled by a chimpanzee would you give this one? Oh, God. <laughs> I give this, and I am speaking so highly of it that I have I struggle with this. I give it a four out of five child actors being mauled by a chimpanzee. Hmm, interesting. I thought it was extremely well done. I really dug it. it. I just didn't have enough for me to, like, fall in love with on this watch. Like, at the end of the viewing sitting in the theater, I was thinking for 4.5. But talking about it, thinking about it, it really is going up in my mind, and I'll probably rate it higher upon rewatch. The biggest thing keeping it from a five for me was I don't think I was emotionally involved with the characters as much as I wanted to be, even though I do think they were just like easily likable characters you're on board with right away. I just, yeah, I wanted to be a little more in it with them. Um, Yeah, I don't think this could ever be a five for me. It's not Get Out, but it could creep up to 4.5 upon rewatch and frankly probably will, but I'm going to stick with four. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What are sense. you thinking? Uh, yeah, I, I went to 4.5 uh, child actors being mauled by chimpanzees. Um, nice. I hear you. I, I don't know if I was looking for that. Uh, well, I, I did feel like an, a natural emotional connection just uh, given the brother-sister dynamic, and I thought their performances kind of pulled you in. But I hear what you mean in terms of like, um, I don't know if I was ever truly like really in their shoes or scared for them, except maybe that that house scene. Um but yeah, compared to like another horror film where like you're really like uh, worried about like the protagonist or whatever, um, I could see that part being missing. But otherwise, yeah, I, I felt like this was a, a great um, scaled up version of like what makes Peel so great on like so many different levels applied to like a summer blockbuster type format, really original, ambitious story, amazing cinematography, as we talked about uh, acting and, and performances where we're all awesome. And I thought amazing, like scary scenes uh, and a good, good variety across them as well. So I... Yeah, 4.5 for me. Could go, I don't know if it could go up to a 5, but 4.5. I think, and I like respect the movie too for what it is. I feel like if we had gone too deep of a dive into the characters, it could have just taken away from what the movie is. It's this fun summer blockbuster on its surface that could have some really deep themes buried underneath. So uh, I don't want to knock the movie for that, but just for me personally, yeah, at 4, which is weird. Rating movies is weird because I end up giving something like the black phone a higher rating than <laughs> than nope but uh i think it just reveals that heart is a big part of movies for me and i think the black phone it was not nearly as well made or well thought out movie as this but it it had heart it just you know it it had me feeling the feeling i had was 4.5 in the seat of the theater when the credits stopped rolling and the feeling i had after this was 4 
Yeah, you're a sucker for those feelings, right? I yeah, I'm a sucker for feelings. I yeah. I also just think like things you have to unpack have a disadvantage for me with my yeah my ratings. Like it's, I wish we could go back and have, and I hope one day we will go back and have discussions on movies re we rewatch that are very complex and and take a lot to unpack. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Um, you know, I, I felt the same way. I, I think at the end of this film, it was kind of a head scratcher. Like you're not like holy shit. Well, you kind of are, but it's all there's like so much to unpack and like you're trying to digest it takes takes a minute, takes a while. Yeah, it's a lot going on there. All right, cool. Well, uh, cool, anything anything else? Oh, you know what? Before we go, um, we haven't shouted out some of our newer Patreon members. I don't think we've done a Patreon shout out since our anniversary episode. So I just wanted to say thank you to Hina, Yosarian, TP, Alexis S, Nicholas, Madison, Sydney, Sticky Heat, and Ryan. Thank you all so much. We really appreciate the support. And thank you to all of other our other Patreon supporters as well. It's pretty awesome how many members we have now, and it's uh, really cool for us to see. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. That's awesome. Uh, great. Anything else? That's it. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our discussion on Nope. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show. And we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our links on horrormovieclub.com or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We're going to be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord where we're chatting up with some other listeners and horror fans. You can find that link on our websites. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time... If you notice a cloud in the sky that doesn't appear to be moving like all the others, make sure to wrap yourself in some barbed wire before you head out, just in case. (laughs) You don't think that was a reference to, like, Jesus or anything, do you? Hmm. I don't know, but I, you know, I'll probably need to rewatch and some good hard thinking to to let you know how I truly feel about it. Alright. TBD on that one. Yeah. There's a missing chapter of the Bible where Jesus is absorbed by an animal from the sky and spit back out. <laughs> I never knew how to say why they took that one out. That was like the best chapter. <laughs> and the alien says, get in reach. <laughs>